Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. We're in Romans 14 this evening, and we're continuing our series. This is message number four of our series on sacred cows. And uh, we've been walking through Romans chapter number 14. And uh, what is it in your life that you feel very strongly about a matter of practice in your own maybe personal life, Christian life, uh, maybe as it relates to uh, church, a church service, or a, a matter of a church structure that you feel very strongly about a matter of practice, a matter of preference, a matter of personal principle? That if we're to be honest, if we were to go and if our kids or someone asks us, why do we do that, Dad, or why don't we do that? And by the way, we all have these. We would have to say, well, here are a couple principles or here are a couple thoughts, but the reality is the Bible does not clearly command this, nor does the Bible clearly forbid this. It's not clearly commanded or clearly forbidden, but it's based on maybe my upbringing, based on my preferences, based on the generation I was born in, based on the region of the country I was born in, cultural, regional, generational, uh, those things. And again, it might be my, my background. I feel strongly about this. I really like this, or I really dislike this. And, and whatever that might be in your life, especially as it relates to our Christian faith and practice, whatever it might, that might be in your life, we have defined in this series as being what we've called a sacred cow, an item that is not necessarily bad to have, but is neither forbidden nor commanded in Scripture, but yet sometimes we as believers have some really strong feelings about and, and some things that good people can disagree about where both sides of the issue feel like they maybe have some strong support based on something they've heard, based on something they've read, based on something they've experienced, based on, they, they, I feel very strongly about this or about that, and we've, the, the subhead of this title is finding biblical unity, that's the key, biblical unity, not, not finding unity at all costs, but finding biblical unity even when we disagree as believers. And, and, and some might say, again, depending on your upbringing, well, that, that sounds like a whole bunch of compromise. No, if, if we understand where we're coming from, it sounds like a whole bunch of biblical principle, and we've seen that in Romans 14. In Romans 14, you had people that had very different upbringings, very different cultures, very different church traditions, if you will, or worship traditions, the things they did or didn't worship, and you have very different um, groups coming, being saved out of different uh, uh, traditions and, and preferences and, and uh, um, things that they would do, and coming into the same church. And they were both fearing, feeling very strongly about those things that they thought should be or shouldn't be a part of their practice as believers. For them, it had mostly, at least in Romans 14, to do with, with dietary things and the uh, recognizing of certain days. And so some would not eat certain things because of their Jewish upbringing, their Orthodox Jewish upbringing. Others would not eat certain things because at one time they had been involved in, in uh, pagan worship, offering meat to pagan uh, idols. 
And so they felt very strongly about things they could or couldn't eat, things they should or should as believers. You should not be allowing that into your body. And then some of them felt very strongly about honoring certain high holy days or, or Old Testament um, holidays that are scriptural, but they were trying to bring those things in, and those that hadn't grown up with the Feast of the Passover, Yom Kippur, those different things, they hadn't grown up with those things. That the, the others, the Romans, those that have been saved, Gentiles that have been saved, not out of Judaism, but out of pagan worship, they're like, why would we do that? You don't have to do that. We don't have to do that to be good Christians. And, and those that came from that, yes, you do. And, and there was some, there was some uh, disagreement, there was some conflict within the church on things that were neither right nor wrong, things that were neither forbidden nor commanded, but that believers felt really strongly about. And so... That's where, uh, that's how we've defined in this series a sacred cow, something that good people can disagree about, where both feel they have maybe strong support based on their upbringing, their experience, what they were taught, or how they feel. And here's the reality, so often in my 23 years of ministry, when talking with somebody that's, that's all, all worked up about something that is not a doctrinal issue, but it's a, well, a personal issue or a preferential issue. And I'll say, well, what are you, why are you so worked up about this? And, and often, often the response will be, well, I feel. Well, I think, and I'll stop. I've been doing this with our senior class. Uh, I teach a Friday uh, class to our seniors in our school called Life Skills. And we're talking about all kinds of different things. We were talking about um, pro-life versus pro-choice this last Friday. And what does the Bible have to say about these things? And, and when we ask opinions, often, and now the kids are catching themselves, because almost always their arguments will start with, well, I think, well, I feel, but we have to come back to what is our source of truth? Is this our source of truth? Or is it my feelings, my upbringings, my experiences, my thoughts? And, and often we'll start with those things, how we feel or what, what, what we think. What does the Bible have to say? It's interesting. And in churches, sacred cows can range anywhere from I've heard, I've heard preaching against all of the things I'm about to list. I've heard preaching for and against all of this. I've heard believers criticizing other believers about these things. It's amazing that within churches sometimes what we can create church splits and division over. Uh, I've heard sacred cows can range anywhere from service schedules to musical instruments or song choices to building architecture or design, design decisions. Does the Bible tell us anywhere what color our walls in here should be? Or what color the carpet should be, or if it should be, churches will have major fights because uh, a church decided to pull out the pews and put chairs in. Because we all know that, that in the New Testament, the church at Ephesus, they had pews. That's a cultural thing. I like pews. The two churches I've been a member of, all they've ever had is pews. There may come a day where we no longer have pews. I have no plans for that. There's no reason. Our pews are working fine as far as I'm aware. They're all holding you up to listen to me. But, but church, well, you're, 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 you're taking away the faith of our fathers. No, we're uh, churches, we're not, but churches that would do are changing a, a cultural, regional, traditional thing. It's not a biblical thing, but I've heard of churches having major fights because a pastor or leaders or, 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 or they decided to move forward with a design choice, what color the ceiling is or what they might do, what, these different things. It can be building architecture, design decisions, missions philosophies, fundraising methods, outreach methods, pastoral dress standards, personal dress standards, auditorium lighting, entertainment choices, facial hair, even some what I would call tertiary doctrinal matters of lesser importance. And don't get scared when I say that. We're gonna, I'm going to spend an entire week on this 
uh, in the next week or two in this series on these things. I'm not talking about things that are foundational to our faith and practice, but matters sometimes of different things, maybe eschatology, where good godly people have scriptural support and believe uh, the timing of Christ's return might, might land somewhere differently. In my opinion, to me, that, is it doctrinal? Yes. To me, is that a, fo- a fundamental doctrine of if you believe in a pre-tribulational, mid-tribulational, or post-tribulational rapture? To me, that's not. And I'd be happy to get coffee with you if you disagree with me. Here's the reality. You know who knows the time in the day? He does. None of us do. And you know how, how much it changes how I'm supposed to live for Jesus today and tomorrow and next Sunday? What, 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 whoever is right, you know how much it changes what, the way we're supposed to live? Absolutely zero. And I've seen some people get crazy and spend their whole lives arguing this issue that isn't, doesn't change the way that we live. If we believe that He's coming again, we believe the thing that matters, that He is coming to rapture His church. And, and, and people, these things, and, and so we get, we get sometimes worked up about some things that have no real bearing on how, what we believe and what God's called us to do as a church. And as I mentioned, I've heard preaching for and against everything, everything, including facial hair. Everything, for and against everything I just mentioned. I've heard good men and women criticize other good men and women about all the issues I just listed and then some why, because we have our sacred cows. When I was training for ministry in Bible college, I didn't really, I was, I was saved uh, in, in the church I was saved in. I wasn't born into a Christian home. The church I was saved in was the only church I'd ever been a part of. So I was blissfully ignorant to some of the craziness and politics that exist in churches and in denominations. I had no idea. I was a part of one church, and the way that church functioned and operated, and from my perspective, it functioned and operated in a pretty healthy manner. God had blessed it. God was using it. And our pastor seemed like he loved—it's my father-in-law now—he loved his job. He loved the church. My mom and I, we loved the church. We loved our friends. We just thought going to church was awesome. We didn't know you were supposed to hate every other pastor and every other church and every, every other believer. Nobody told us. And I remember as I got into Bible college. For the first time, I really began to find out that men that believed pretty much the same stuff made it their life's goal to tear down one another. And I didn't understand, and I remember being in Bible college, sitting in the dorms, talking with other men that were training for ministry, and I remember, I think I was a freshman in Bible college, and I remember a Christian publication that was put out by a church in Florida. It was mailed to thousands of churches across the country, and it singled out my father-in-law. At that time, he wasn't my father, he was my pastor, calling him a compromiser and a liberal pastor because he had chosen to do some unthinkable things in our church. He had chosen to make some unthinkable changes uh, to the faith once delivered to the saints. He had chosen to change some things that no good godly pastor would ever change. Literally, not just one time, multiple months, his name with, with cartoons kind of making fun of him and articles explaining all of the ways that he was a liberal compromiser. And I remember as an 18-year-old young man training for ministry thinking, what? What are they talking about? Do you want to know what major doctrinal error What the major doctrinal error was that this nationally known pastor in Florida decided he needed to identify and warn thousands of pastors about all across the country regarding my father-in-law as a pastor. Are you ready to hear the gross, sinful error that had crept into our church? Here it is, and I'm not exaggerating. 
Due to space constraints in our church building, my father-in-law had decided to move all of our bus ministry outreach and bus ministry services from Sunday morning to Saturday morning. That's it. No, you're waiting for more. That was it. And a pastor in Florida, 3,000 miles away, made it his, his job to let everybody across the country know, Jack Treber, my father-in-law, he no longer believes what we were trained by our forefathers, because instead of reaching a thousand-plus young people through the bus ministry on Sunday morning, he's now reaching a thousand-plus young people on Saturday morning. The horror, Steve. And it was really some of my first entry into some of the stupidity that we as believers can sometimes spend our energy and our time on fighting about. Some of you haven't experienced these kinds of immature handlings of unnecessary separation from other good Christians or churches, but some of you have. And so this is the fourth of what I believe will be seven messages in this series, the fourth of seven messages. Week one, all of them have had some sort of a farming theme title. Week one was, what is your baby cow's name? And the, the, the message there, if you've missed any of them, you can catch them online, they're archived. The, the thought there is, all of us, all of us, every one of us, we have things we believe in or, or prefer or, or like or do that we feel very strongly about that other good believers differ on. All of us. And so it was this idea, identifying that and understanding that Paul said, Paul didn't say, if you have sacred cows, get rid of them. Paul said, we saw it in Romans 14, if you have sacred cows that are different from other people's sacred cows in your church, but you both believe the things that matter, here's what he said. He didn't say one group, get rid of them. And he did tell us actually which one was right. The one with more liberty to eat, he said, was the right one. But he didn't say everybody else should have that liberty. What he said is, get along in spite of them. Don't focus on your differences, focus on the gospel, what unites you, not what, you, what divides you, if it's not key doctrine that divides you. And then we, the second week of this, we saw a message entitled, Mad Cow Disease, the deadly danger to a church or a family or, or the body of Christ or, or churches, fellowships of churches, when we elevate our, our sacred cow to levels where we elevate our preferences to levels of doctrine where they were never intended to be. And then week number three, a couple of Sunday nights ago, I preached, don't tear down every fence. Kind of a counterbalance to what the first two weeks had been, but a reminder, and I made it clear, and I don't have time to go through all of it. If you missed it, you can go back and listen. But a reminder that everything we do and everything we believe is not a preference. It is not up for debate. It's not up, everything we do is not up for re moral relativism, popular culture, political correctness. The Bible is very clear about matters of faith and practice in many, many areas. And where the Bible is clear, where the Bible is clear, we do not, it is not, well, my truth is this, well, I don't like that, well, it's, it doesn't matter. If the Bible is clear, it's settled. And so be careful, we have, there is a danger that some of uh, you maybe in this auditorium have seen, a danger where we elevate our preferences to the level of doctrine, and that can turn into a deadly disease, we titled it mad cow disease, but there is also a danger that those things that, that are settled doctrine, settled truth in scripture, we can water down and bring down to the level of preference, and both of those things can destroy a church. 
Both of those things, and and I would say probably my generation and below, if there is a general tendency, if there's a general tendency, it is not that we're elevating extra biblical rules too high. If there's a general tendency in my generation and below, it's probably that we're weakening the truth, the faith once delivered to the saints. So be careful about tearing down every fence. Well, I have liberty in Christ to do whatever I want. Well, is your liberty in Christ making you a better witness? Is it leading you to do more for the gospel? Is it in line with Scripture? Tonight, message number four, we're going to see a message that I've titled, How to Treat Other Cattle Farmers. How to Treat Other Cattle Farmers. And of course, this is a word picture because if you're like me, I don't know any cattle farmers. I've lived in Orange County and Silicon Valley my whole life, so I don't know any farmers of any sort. And I stayed on a pig farm one time in, uh, in, in Maine or Iowa. I forget. I know it was Iowa for my, uh, my, my best man's wedding. The worst smell I've ever smelled in my whole life was staying on that pig farm. I don't ever want to be on a pig farm ever again. The idea being, as we talked about in week one, all of us are cattle farmers to some level. All of us have some sacred cows. And so how do we treat those that that are cattle farmers, those that have some sacred cows that we might not have? Because here's the reality, what we see in Scripture. What did Paul address in almost every letter in the New Testament? He addressed some level, in almost every letter, he addressed some level of disagreement, of discord, of doctrinal error. It is inevitable if you, if you have a family with more than two people in it, if you're in a church with more than a few people in it, it is inevitable that you are going to differ in areas of practice, preference, and personal principles within your church, within the bounds of Orthodox Christianity, in fellowship with other churches, especially now online where you can, you can see other churches and watch and listen and follow pastors and those things on social media, in our own families. So what should our response be when those times come with, where, where we have those times with those who differ from us. I'm going to look at a few thoughts from this this, uh, chapter, and I hope that all of us will take inventory and ask God, what is my spirit toward those uh, that I would believe with, that I'm spending eternity with, that I would believe like on the fundamental issues of our faith, but I have some differences in practice, in personal preference, in personal principle, in, in some things that I do. Number one, what should we do? Number one, we should receive one another. This whole section about how to handle differences with other believers, practical differences, preferential differences, it starts in chapter 14, verse 1, and it ends in chapter 15, basically around verse number 7 is kind of where it ends. I want you to see how Paul begins and ends it. Would you look at uh, Romans chapter 14, verse number 1? Romans 14, verse number 1, look what it says, him that is weak in the faith, what does it say, the next two words, church? Receive ye. And by the way, it's identifying the person that's weak in the faith as the one that needs a bunch of rules. Because they're weak, they put up a bunch of rules in their life to keep them from getting off track. They're scared they're going to go back to their old life or they're going to go back to sinful temptations. So they put up a bunch of rules and borders and guidelines in their lives. That's what's described in this chapter. He says that's a person that needs a lot of rules like that is weak. Not wrong. But they understand, and by the way, it would probably be good for all of us to understand that all of us are weak. Our weakness and the need for some wise, godly guidelines and boundaries in our lives. Him that is weak in the faith, you see what it says? Receive ye. Look at chapter 15, verse number 7, the end of this this kind of section. Chapter 15, verse number 7, look what it says. Would you read verse 7 aloud with me? Ready? Begin. Wherefore, receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory 
of God. You know what Paul says we should do with those that we differ with and we differ from? We should receive one another. Because God has received us. This is not talking about ecumenical compromise. Please, I've I've tried to give that caveat multiple times throughout this series. I'm not talking about we're going to receive somebody that does not believe in the deity of Christ, that we're, we're going to receive just any, any faith, any, any, any religion, any idea, just all roads lead to God, you just live your truth. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about within the guidelines of biblical Christian orthodoxy, of what the Bible teaches, within those guidelines, when we differ, what should we do? We should receive one another. And here's what I'm, I'm afraid of, is by nature, often what we do is we look for reasons why we can't fellowship, or why we can't rejoice, or why we can't work with one another. And Paul said, receive that one that is weak in the faith. As Christ has received you, so receive them. Rather than looking for reasons why you can't fellowship, or rejoice, or work together, approach each relationship with a desire for biblical unity, grace, and love. God has received them in Romans 14 with their sacred cow. With their personal preference, God received them. And so should we. Number two, second half of verse number one, what should we do? How should we treat other cattle farmers? Number two, don't argue. Look what it says, receive ye, verse one, but not to, what's the last two words of verse number one, church? Not to what? Doubtful disputations. Always, always debating, always fighting, always arguing. It's almost like they had Facebook back then. He said, receive them, but not to doubtful disputations, constantly causing doubt about this or about that or about this or, well, what about so-and-so? Did you hear about them? And what about this? Well, I'm stronger than you are, and I'm smarter than you, and I know better than you. And he said, by the way, there is a time to stand for our faith. There is a time to boldly stand and not not to back down. And, And there is a time, if we have to, to fight for our faith. But he said, it ought not be that as Christians, we're defined by constant bickering and arguing and online and in person. and and at church and behind people's backs and text messages. Here's the reality, church family. The world is watching and our subtweeting and backbiting and gossip and spending precious pulpit time explaining why a church that has colored lights in their auditorium or calls their Sunday school a small group, they're watching those things that we're fighting about, and it's turning them off to the gospel. He said, receive them, but not to doubtful disputations. You don't need to fight over these things that good people in different regions, different cultures, different generations might do a little bit differently. I'm going to break it to you. I hate to break this to you, but do you know for most of church history, they didn't use a piano for their church services music because the pianos didn't exist. Like all of this stuff that we, pews, I already talked about, all of these things that churches have split over, that they fight over, often they're just doubtful disputations. Who would want to be, I want you to think about this, who would want to be a part of a family where the family members are constantly bickering, backstabbing, and tearing each other down? And I know that that's the reality in family sometimes because we're all sinful, but in our own family, you know, you know what you want to be a part of? You want to be a part of a family where there's true love, where we care for each other, where we serve one another. Why is the church family any different? You know what kind of a church family people want to be a part of? 
One where they care for each other, they serve each other, they love one another, not, not constantly backstabbing and going behind. Jesus said it this way to his disciples. He said, there's one way that people are going to know that you have love for each other. There's one way that people are going to know that you love each that, that you're, I'm not that you have love, that you're my disciples, that you're followers of Jesus. There's one marker that's going to show people those people follow Jesus. What was that marker, church, if you have what? Love one toward another. Were the disciples, those 12 men that followed Jesus, were they different at all? Did they have different upbringings, different backgrounds, different careers, different personalities? You know what Jesus said? And by the way, did they ever fight with each other? Absolutely. And you know what Jesus told them before he left? Hey guys, it's not about you guys. It's about me. And here's how they're going to know you're following me by the way you, you put down your dumb things you fight about and you love each other, and you wash each other's feet. It's been said the Christian army is the only army that shoots its own wounded, shoots its own soldiers. Yours and mine, unkind, harsh, abrasive social media fights probably aren't going to change many minds, probably aren't going to convince people of the beauty and loveliness of our Lord. Don't get into stupid arguments where what Paul, I'm sorry, dumb, I've got kids in here, I should, don't say that word, kids. Dumb arguments, or what Paul called doubtful disputations. As you've probably heard the quote, I've heard it before. George Bernard Shaw said, I learned long ago, never wrestle with a pig. You both get dirty, and besides, he likes it. Most of our debates and our disputes amongst believers probably aren't aren't real beneficial. Don't argue. Number three, how how do you treat other cattle farmers, those that are raising their own little sacred cows alongside of yours? Number three, respect one another. Would you read verse number three aloud with me? Chapter 14, verse number three. Ready? Begin. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. You see it there again? With their preferences, with their differences, with their sacred cows, if you will, God has received them both. And you know what he told them? You know what he said? He said, the one with less rules, the one with more liberty. He said it here, those that eat, if you eat, if you can eat the meat offered to idols, you have less rules in your life, you have more liberty in Christ in this area, it's not a bother to your conscience to eat that meat. Here's what he said, he said, let him that eateth despise him, uh, let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. Well, what does that look like in our day? Those that maybe aren't, don't have liberty in an area that you do, what do we often do? We despise, well, those old-fashioned, oh, those legalists, oh, this or that, and we despise those that don't land everywhere that we land. We, we make fun of those, we look down upon those who just don't have, their conscience doesn't allow them to have liberty in an area that maybe your conscience allows you and the Spirit of God allows you to have liberty. And if we're not careful, we look at them and we despise them. But then he said on the other side, those of you that you've got more rules and and you've got a little more emphasis on your externals, what you will and won't do and those things, he said, if that's you, if that's me, he said, be careful that you don't judge those that have liberty in an area you don't have. He said, those that don't eat, the end of the verse, those that don't eat the meat, he said, don't judge those that do. And you know, oh, that, that carnal worldly person, they're not separated enough from the world. They eat the meat offered to idols. They, they, they don't love God as much as I do. 
He said, be careful. There's a danger on both directions of this. Give each other respect. The problem in the church at Rome is the same problem in many churches today. Believers of both persuasions in the church at Rome thought themselves to be more spiritual and the others to be more carnal. Believers of both persuasions thought themselves to be more spiritual and the others to be more carnal. Isn't that how we are today? Anybody that that does not land exactly where I land in some of these these matters, man, we look and say, well, they're just not as spiritually mature as I am. And Paul is saying, don't worry, you don't need to despise those that have more rules than you, and you don't need to judge those that have less rules than you. And it leads us, in just a minute, we'll get there, he said, you need to focus on yourself. Number four, number four, how do we treat other cattle farmers? This This is a big one. Acknowledge your role. Look at verse number four, please. Who art thou that judgest another man's what? Another man's servant. To his own what? Master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. How many of you ever heard a a child that maybe a, a friend or a sibling or someone they don't know, maybe even an adult, gives them a command, tells them to do something? You need, to, you need to stop right now. You need to sit down. You need to stop that. Don't eat that. Don't go there. Have you ever heard a kid say this? You're not my mom. You're not my dad. Who are you telling me what to do? What is that child saying? You don't have that authority in my life. I have a mom and a dad. And, and mom didn't tell me that. Dad didn't tell me that. Siblings do this sometimes, right? They tell each other what to do, and, and the siblings are—and I don't know about your house, sometimes the mom or dad will tell the siblings to go tell them, and they'll be like, mom or dad didn't tell me that. What are they saying to the sibling? You don't have that authority in my life. We're, bo- we're all servants here. We're all kids in this thing. You're not the parent. And you know what Paul is telling the, the, the Christians here at Rome? You know what he's telling them? He's saying, we are all servants, and we all have the same master. And he said, who are you that judges another man's servant? Why as a servant who's going to be judged, he talks about we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, verse number 10, he says that, who are you that's going to have your own account to give? Who are you to stand in judgment of that servant? He's got a master. Acknowledge your role. Know your position in this whole thing. Who am I? I have friends, multiple friends that pastor in Orange County, in L.A. County, in Riverside County. I got a text last night from a pastor in, 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 in Los Angeles County, and I texted one today in Orange County. And who am I to stand up here and to say, well, th- th- that pastor's making a, a mistake in how he's leading that church. That, that's not, God has not given me any spiritual authority in that body of Christ. I have to acknowledge my role, I am a servant of God, and here I am a shepherd or a spiritual leader, one of the spiritual leaders at Liberty Baptist Church. It's not my job to fix every other believer, and by the way, even as the spiritual leader, it's not my job to fix you. We're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It's my job to preach truth, it's my job to challenge and to lead and to encourage and to equip and to edify, but the reality is we're all servants that are going to one day answer to God at the judgment seat of Christ. We are all servants. We have the same master. God didn't call me to be everyone else's fruit inspector. He called me to bear much fruit. God allows, I want you to listen to this in verse 14, God allows for differences in his family. Why should I be less kind than the judge? 
God allows for differences in his family. Why should I be less kind than the judge? And there may be matters of conscience. We talked about this two or three Sunday nights ago that do not allow you to have close fellowship or close partnership because of a matter of conscience or personal preference or a personal stand, and that's fine. But what does he say here? Who are you that judges another man's servant? It's not, he has a servant and God can make him stand or can hold him up. God is big enough to take care of it. He didn't, not, not all of us are called to be the internet, uh, the internet uh, bulldogs, the internet enforcers of every believer around the nation. There's been a revival at a Methodist college in Kentucky the past week and a half. Two Wednesdays ago, not this past Wednesday, but two Wednesdays ago, from my understanding, from the little I've read about it, they had a chapel service like they would every day. And after the chapel service, my understanding is 20 or 30 students came back in and, and just came back and began to pray. They knelt at the altar. There were about, it's a beautiful auditorium. I've seen pictures, beautiful old auditorium. And there were about 20 students in there. They came in after chapel and began to pray. They were there for an hour and for two and for three. And word began to spread. And I guess a few hundred other students came in and a group of students there seeking God and be, from my understanding, seeking God and begging God and, and asking God to do something in their generation. And they began to sing together and somebody gave testimonies. And, and, and from what I've read and from what I've heard, it, it seemed like the Holy Spirit began to move into that place and to do a work, and it went. The first time I heard about it was somewhere on that Wednesday night, somebody posted, there's been a chapel service going on for about 10 hours at this college in Kentucky, and till about midnight, and it went all the way through the night, and different students came, and they were on their knees, and praying, and crying, and calling out to God, and there was singing, and there was, there was, there was uh, testimonies, and there was preaching, and other things, and, and now we are, I think, 11, 12, 13, 11 or 12 days later, and it hasn't stopped. There have been tens of thousands of people that have traveled there, some maybe with great motives, others maybe with ulterior motives, but, but it's, it went for 24 hours and then 48 hours and then 72, and it's been going on uninterrupted with tens of thousands of people involved over the last 11 or 12 days. And I've heard some really encouraging reports of college students and others falling under Holy Ghost conviction and getting saved and getting right with God, tears and repentance and reports of revival. And I'll be honest, I've heard a few concerning reports of things happening there that I would have some strong disagreements with, even doctrinally. And my mo social media feed has been blown up with, with, with opinions and with people t praising it and with people cautious about it and with people criticizing it and everything in between, and probably not, maybe not as much as yours. I follow a lot of pastors and Christians, and that's just the world I'm in, I guess. But my social media has had much. I've, I've seen YouTube videos. People have driven hours to sit there to make a YouTube review of Revival. Imagine that happening in the Great Awakening. Let me give you my opinion, because I was here for two hours, about what's right and what's wrong with this place. And you know what my response is to all of that? God is strong enough to do what He wants to do, where He wants to do it, with or without my approval. And if He's not pleased with what is happening there, here, or anywhere else, He can shut it down as He pleases. And ultimately, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So here's my take on it. Since I've never been to that college, since I don't know any students at that college, since I don't know anybody in administration at that college, since I had never heard of that college until two weeks ago, and probably I will never step foot on the campus of that college, I don't need to spend any time or energy worrying about them other than asking God to pour out His Spirit in our generation once again. 
to bind any sinful or satanic influences there, and to unleash any godly or spiritual influences there. And may I say this, church family, I'm less worried about if they are or aren't having real revival, and I'm more worried about the revival that I need in my own heart. And I'm more worried about the revival that my family needs of falling in love with Jesus greater than we ever have. And I'm more worried about is there a revival happening anywhere in Orange County, in Newport Beach, at Liberty Baptist Church, or anywhere around us? Who do we think we are? And I'm not saying we don't stand for truth, but it's who am I to judge another man's servant? That's not my ministry. I have no influence there. I have no authority there. I have no involvement there. And yet we spent hours, God's people have spent hours debating and talking about and warning and this and that. Now, if you lived in that city and you saw some major doctrinal things that your people were being drawn to, my role may change at that point. But I, I don't think any of you have any flights booked to go to Kentucky this week. And so guess how that, that affects our minute? It doesn't, other than the fact of, God, whatever sincerity and whatever good is happening there, pour that spirit out here. We would save ourselves a whole lot of headache and heartache if we realized that God doesn't need our help as judge and jury in most cases. He needs us to do more serving and loving and witnessing and preaching and encouraging and helping and praying and, and, and sharing the gospel. If you and I spend all of our time on social media looking for those who do things differently than us so that we can look down on them in criticism or look up on ourselves in pride, we're doing it wrong. That's the spirit of Pharisees, and Christ is not pleased in, in that in any form or fashion. Number five, number five, how do we treat other cattle farmers? Number five, realize they can be right too. This one's hard. Look at verse number six. He goes away from the dietary things, and he goes into the, the observing of certain days. He says, he that regardeth the day, regardeth it unto the Lord. It's a spiritual thing that God accepts, the one that, 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 that honors and observes that holiday. And he that regardeth not the day, to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord. For he giveth God thanks, and he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. You know what he said? Who's right? Both. Who does God pleased with? Both. If it's from a heart of faith, and a heart of purity, and a heart of love. And here's something that's really hard for us to admit. Somebody that disagrees with me, or sees things differently than me, not again, not talking about settled doctrinal truth talking about areas of practice and preference and sometimes principle. You know what's really hard for us to admit? Somebody that sees it a little differently than me and practices it a little differently than me can be right too. It's hard to accept sometimes. It's hard to see. In some areas, according to this chapter, People can do the exact opposite of what I would choose to do and be perfectly accepted by God. Again, not a call for unity at all costs, not a call to lower clear Bible doctrine to matters of preference, but it doesn't, and it, this doesn't mean all truth is relative. What it does mean is that a church can choose not to have a choir and still be on the same team as us. It does mean that a Christian can disagree and dislike some songs that we sang today and still be a wonderful Christian. It does mean that none of us has found the perfect position in every area. I don't know about you, but God's still working on me, and God's still molding me, and God's still changing me, and I'm still learning, and I'm still growing, and my, my faith is not evolving, but God's grace, my sanctification, I pray, is progressing. And realize, they can be right too. Number six. What does Paul tell them? He says, don't unnecessarily separate with other cattle farmers. 
There's a time to separate, and doctrine does divide, but make sure it's true, clear doctrine that's dividing. Most of the time in churches, what divides us is not settled biblical doctrine. Most church splits don't happen over doctrinal error. Some do. Most don't. They they happen over personality. They happen over politics. They happen over personal treatment. They happen over leadership decisions. They happen over some change that came, the changing of the color of the carpet, the removal of the pipe organ, the addition of an organ, the robes on the choir, no robes on the—the list goes on. Don't unnecessarily separate. Look at verse number 10, talking about this idea of acknowledging our roles. He says, why dost thou judge thy brother, here it is, or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? That idea simply means to cast aside, to separate from, to you set at naught, you make of no significance. That person, they're, they're, they're dead to me. That person, that person, God can't use that person. That's setting it not your brother. He says, why do you do that? We're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And if you're right and he's wrong, God can take care of it. And if he's right and you're wrong, God can take care of it. We're all going to answer to God. Why do you unnecessarily separate from good believers because, and you can fill in the blank. A man that I greatly admire, Dr. Charles Keene, he preached our missions conference here several years ago. He's in his 80s now. I'll see him actually in about a week and a half. Every time I'm with him, wisdom just comes out of this man. He's preached the gospel for over 60 years. He's traveled to scores, if not more than 100 countries. The, the, the Bibles that we did today from Seedline, that's from the ministry called Bearing Precious Seed in Milford, Ohio. That ministry started, I think, in the 60s under his leadership. It started with a tiny little photocopier-looking printing press, and the first year they did like 10 or 12,000 copies of Scripture. He had a burden for the church to be producing Bibles. And their church that first year, I saw, the, I saw the, 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 those that went on the Bible tour, we saw that little printing press right there, and I think it was 10 or 12,000 copies the first year that little church was able to send out. Last year they sent out over 13 million copies of Scripture. In scores of languages, this man that's been used mightily of God, he's, he's helped me so much and, and given me so much wisdom. And I was, was with him last year at a, at a meal in Ohio. We were having lunch, and I was talking to him, and I went back and I saw it. I, had, I saw this tweet. I was at lunch with Dr. Charles Keene having a conversation on ministry. Dr. Keene said this. He said, when I got saved, God only liked the independent Baptists. And I kind of laughed, and I looked at him. I said, did God change his mind since then? And here's what he said, and if you know him, the way that only he could say it, he's got this, this, this rough, gravelly voice. He said, no, he changed mine. And we were talking in the context of that, that conversation. You know what he was saying? He said, for too long, I said it not some good brothers. For too long, I unnecessarily divided over people that, that could have been on the same side as me, helping to get the gospel out. A man in his 80s saying, God changed my mind and my approach to some people that, that I'm going to spend eternity with that are preaching the same Jesus I am, from the same Bible I am, for the same reasons that I am. Why said it not a good brother? Do you understand in the day and age in which we're living, have you figured it out? We need each other. Have you you figured out there weren't millions of people worshiping Jesus in Orange County this morning? Have you figured out there weren't hundreds of thousands of people setting aside time on their Sunday morning to worship Jesus or Sunday night? Have you figured that out? 
Have you figured it out? If we added up all of the churches in Orange County of three million people, we might have had, I don't know, tens of thousands, maybe 40, 50,000 people. If we counted every church in Orange County, I don't even know that all of those would be preaching the same Jesus. Have you figured out, we as Bible-believing Christians, we need each other? We need one another in the day and age in which we're living? The harvest is plenteous, Jesus said 2,000 years ago, and the laborers are few, so why, if there's a willing laborer that's preaching Jesus, that loves him, is trying to live for him, why would we set him and not? Because he lands a little differently, because he wears a sport coat on Sunday night, or he starts to sweat, and so he takes his sport coat off. Why would I want to unnecessarily continue to splinter and subdivide a, a, a remnant of God's people? Let me show you this. Here's what happens when we unnecessarily separate. Pastor, I need somebody, let me just see, I need somebody that would be, that I could beat, that, that's uh, maybe not as strong as me. I'm, Pastor Sammy, why don't you come on up, all right, Pastor Sammy? <laughs> How many of you think if I did a tug of war with Pastor Sammy, Pastor Sammy will come on up, and we're on one side, we're pulling, we're pulling the rope here, trying to get our, we're pulling for Jesus. How many of you think if it's Pastor Sammy against me that I'm going to win? Let me just see. How many of you think that? Not even my own kids. Hey, Trey, put your hand up, all right? <laughs> Trey looked around like, is anybody going to say, Dad? How many do you think Pastor Sammy would win? All right, go on over there, Pastor Sammy. So if that's the case, guess what? For this illustration, the enemy is strong. The enemy is real. The one on the other side is strong. I need, I need some help. Yes, I can have help from God and His Spirit and His Word, but I need some co-laborers. If I'm going to defeat the enemy, if you will, and he's strong and he's got power, I'm going to need some help. So I need some men that can help me. Steve, would you be willing to come on my side? Come on up, Steve. And Jeff, why don't you come on up, Jeff? Craig, will you come on up here? And Ed, why don't you come on up? Let's see here. And uh, I'm, I'm looking around, seeing some muscles. Who's got? I'm looking for some, some strong folks here. I don't have very many of those here, do we? And I'm just kidding, just kidding. Let me get DJ, why don't you come on up, and Javen, come on down. Javen, why don't you come on down, and, and uh, Joshua, why don't you join me up? Would you be up? Jo you don't like to be in front of people, do you, Joshua? You can stay sitting there if you want. You don't have to get mad. You're willing? All right, come on up. So, now let's see. So we've got, look at Ed, Ed's getting ready. He's got it knotted up. He's got it around his arm. He's ready to go. All right, we've got, uh, we, we've got the tug of war rope here. Tej, why don't you join me right there? Come on up, TJ. All right, so I've got two, four, six, I got eight, nine on my side. How many of you now think Pastor Ryan, we'll just call it Pastor Ryan's side, we won't say it's all these, Pastor Ryan's side can beat Pastor Sammy's side. Let me see, how many think that now? Why? Because I have a bunch of co-laborers, we're all on the same side, and we're, we're pulling for the same goal, we're against the same enemy. But what if? What if I stopped and said, well, before I can work with you on this side, before we can pull together, we have the same enemy, we have the same opposition, we're trying to pull in the same direction, we're trying to get people saved, we're trying to see people grow in Christ, we have the same goal, but before I can work with you, I got to see, I was saved, where I was saved, it was through the ministry of a Baptist church. Is there anybody that got saved here and it wasn't through a ministry of a, uh, and it was an independent Baptist church, by the way, too, not a Southern Baptist church. Anybody here that got saved and it wasn't through the ministry of an independent Baptist church? Southern, Southern Baptist church? Southern Baptist. Yeah, Methodist. Me so you're going to go over to that side. We're, I'm against you. I'm serious. I'm against you. I'm against you. And you're Southern Baptist out of here. Are you saved, Steve? Steve's saved. All right. We're learning. Southern Baptist, you said? 
Or did you say that? All right, you're out of here. I'm, I can't work with this guy. He didn't get saved in a church just like mine, and especially not United Methodist. What's going on over there? By the way, it's a Methodist college, I think, in Kentucky where that's happening right now. And, uh, and so, guess what? I find out he's not exactly like me, so I can't work together with him there. And, and then I, I start looking, and it goes even beyond maybe where we got saved. But here's, this is true story, for the last, oh, we've been married 23 years, 22 years, my wife and I, for a few different reasons, some of them are spiritual in our lives, we don't have cable TV in our home. We don't, we don't have cable TV. Now we have, at this point, every other streaming service, but for a long time we didn't have anything. <laughs> and we don't have cable TV. Anybody here? You have cable TV? Good Christians right here. All right, you can stay on my side. No cable TV. TJ, of course, he's like, no, we don't. dad won't let me have it. And uh, don't have cable TV. And, and uh, I, I, I really, I grew up with, and I really like Southern gospel music. I like Southern, anybody here that you really don't like Southern gospel music on this side? It's not really your, your thing? You don't? I can still work with these guys. Y'all, y'all still like some Southern gospel music? All right, Deej, have you listened to Southern gospel in the last week? This in the last week? Okay, all right, okay, all right. And, uh, and one of the big ones here, I don't know, there's a man over there that's good, but he didn't get saved in a Baptist church, independent Baptist church, so I don't know if I can go with it. I wore a tie to church. I can't work with you guys. I can't work with you, Jeff. I don't care if you have a sport coat. All right, I don't care if you look better than the pastor right now. You got a sweater and everything. And here's what happens. Here's what happens with good people that I have a whole lot in common with. I look for all of these things to unnecessarily divide over. And instead of fighting the enemy, I end up fighting the people that should be on my side. I end up and I spend all my effort and all my energy trying to prove to you why I'm more spiritual than them because I got saved in a better church. I'm no Methodist. I'm a, I'm a Baptist and God's good. There's a higher level in heaven for us Baptists. And I wore a tie to church and, and on, and, and I, try to, I spend all my effort and all my energy. Why? Because I, and all of a sudden the enemy isn't, I can't even see Sam anymore. My focus is all right here. Sammy has nothing to do. I'm not fighting against Sammy now. I'm fighting against this guy, and I'm fighting against this guy, and I'm fighting against this guy, and I'm separating from that guy. You can't pull on this side of the rope. We don't do everything exactly the same. And again, I'm not talking about ecumenical compromise. I'm talking about biblical grace and biblical unity. And he said here, he said, why do you set your brother at naught? Why are you doing that? You're setting him at naught because he has some strong personal practices that you don't have. And before I know it, instead of fighting the enemy, you can go back, back down. I don't need to fight Sammy. Sammy's done with this church. Sammy's done with this movement. The enemy doesn't need to work. He can go somewhere else. By the way, it started me against Sammy. How many of you think I'm going to win this war right here? He's not even a part of it anymore, and his side is still going to beat me. Why? Because it's not even his side. I've unnecessarily separated with those that came up to help me, and I've explained why they're not good enough, and why I can't work with them, and why they do something a little different. Nothing that has anything to do with Scripture, and the enemy walks away and says, I'm done with that church. I'm done with that family. I don't need to fight them. They're busy fighting each other. Thank you, men. You can go back to your seats. 
While we have a real enemy to be fighting, we spend so much of our time, energy, and emotion fighting each other, trying to prove who is stronger, who is more right, who God is more pleased with. We could do so much more if we would get our focus off of each other, invite each other to work with us, get on the same side, and start pulling together. If I would have been willing to pull with all of these men, Sammy would have stood no chance. We could do so much more supporting missionaries and encouraging pastors and building up believers and planting churches. Paul said it this way in Philippians chapter number 1, verse number 27, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Make this the focus of your life, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Here's what I want to hear about when I get back to your, your church there at Philippians that you guys are of one spirit and one mind seeking biblical unity, striving together for the faith of the gospel, not striving against each other because we run bus routes and that church doesn't run bus routes and we do this and that, that pastor does that a little bit differently. No, striving together for the faith of the gospel. I can't go to Liberty anymore because they moved their, their small group, which would be a Sunday school, they moved it to Wednesday nights and now instead of gathering in small groups at 9 o'clock on Sunday morning, we gather at Wednesday at 7. I I can't be a part of a church like that anymore. Why don't we strive together for the sake of the gospel? Wearsby said it this way, he said, if Christians would go to the Lord in prayer instead of going to their brother with criticism, there would be stronger fellowship in our churches. Don't unnecessarily separate. Number seven, I'm almost done. Focus on your actions. Verse number 13, let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this. He didn't say stop judging, he just said change the focus of your judgment. (laughs) Judge this, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus there is nothing unclean of itself. I know I can eat meat, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. If thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably, destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. He said, don't worry about what they do that you don't agree with. Focus on what you're doing. Am I doing something that's hurting another believer? Am I doing something that's causing another believer to stumble? Am I I exercising liberty in a way that is not edifying other believers? Focus on my actions rather than looking for what someone else is doing wrong. Look to see what you're doing that may not be helping or encouraging or edifying another. And then lastly, seek biblical unity. Would you read verse number 19 aloud with me? Verse 19, ready? Begin. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. Keyword there, biblical. Where it can be dangerous is we say unity is the ultimate goal. That can be a dangerous thing. He's writing to Christians who have the fundamentals of their faith settled, but they're fighting over their differences. And he says, he says, I want you to seek biblical unity. He said in verse 19, follow after the things that make for peace and how you can edify, encourage, help one another. Two of the most famous Christians in the Victorian era in England were Charles Spurgeon and Joseph Parker, both mighty preachers of the gospel. Early in their ministry, they fellowshiped together and preached for each other. They had a a personal disagreement, and reports of it eventually even got into the newspapers of that day. It'd be like it made it onto Facebook or social media, Twitter, Instagram. Everybody was talking about it, made it onto the blogs, the Christian newspapers. Spurgeon accused Parker, actually theirs wasn't a Christian newspaper, it made it into the newspaper in London, England. 
Spurgeon accused Parker of being unscriptural because he attended the theater. Interestingly enough, Spurgeon smoked cigars, a practice many believers would condemn. Who was right? Here's the reality. Because of how they handled it and the fact that it went to the public and the world watched two men that said we're all about Jesus, turning their focus on each other, I would say both of them were wrong. When they took their personal disagreement public and harmed the unity they had once enjoyed in front of their community, they were both wrong. How good, the Bible says, and how pleasant is it for brothers to dwell together in unity. Answer this question. In your immediate family, if you have people that live in your home, or your extended family, does the the family function better when there's unity or conflict? Talk to me. Unity or conflict? Of course. And when there's conflict, you really can't work on anything. You can't make progress on anything. You walk on eggshells. When there's conflict in a marriage, when there's conflict with kids, it it puts tension. It puts a shadow over every interaction. Every time your phone buzzes and you see that person's name, you wonder, what now? What are we fighting about now? Are we going to—and it it messes up everything. When there's conflict, it takes uh, our—we can't love each other like we're supposed to when there's conflict. Why do we think the family of God would be any different? Why do we automatically, as Christians, why do we think of unity often as compromise, a a sign of unholy compromise? Unity is a beautiful thing to be desired and worked toward. How good and how pleasant it is for brothers, brethren to dwell together in unity, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Unity is a beautiful thing in a family. It's a beautiful thing in a marriage in a home, in a business, and absolutely in a church, and among believers. What did Jesus pray in John 17? Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Those that have already been saved and those that will be saved. What did he say? That they all may be what? One. I don't know about you, that sounds like unity. That sounds like we're gathered around the gospel, we're focused on the right stuff, and I'm a tax collector, and I'm a fisherman, and I'm, 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 I'm outgoing, and I'm abrasive, and I'm quiet, and I'm studious, and we all have all these different personalities, but we're all one. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. Here's the effect of unity, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. That's the effect of biblical unity. People see a family of people from all different backgrounds and upbringings and personalities and education levels and income levels and stages of life, and they look and say, how can that group of people, our our nation's divided. We're divided politically. there's, there's, There's all kinds of divisions in our nation, and they look and say, all of those people can get along? What do they have that I don't have? It's a beautiful picture of the power of the gospel when there's biblical unity. So how do we treat other cattle farmers? Receive one another. If God's received them, so should we. Don't argue over dumb stuff. Respect one another. Don't despise, don't judge. Acknowledge your position. We're all servants. We all have a judge we're gonna answer to. He can take care of it. Realize they can be right too. Don't unnecessarily separate and end up fighting the wrong enemy. Focus on your actions and seek biblical unity. May we pray for a revival of biblical Christ-honoring unity that gets the gospel out far and wide because our focus isn't on attacking another, but our focus is on on punching holes in the darkness of this world. 
Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.